come stop and take a trip down on my block. Come on. What you see hidden potential, young minds sharper than Ginsu. Life. And ain't afraid to speak their mind if they got something against you. No, we standing with you, we tackle issues like civic pride. Hate will cease to exist, let's put our differences aside. From my side to your side, from Dutch Town to South Side, from Penrose to North Side, from Benton Park to Old North, the West End, the West Side. We blessed when we step out, we stand down, rise up. Stand together, wise up. This is Stitchcast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. This week, our Stitchcast sits down and shares their own spooky stories in this special edition episode of Stitchcast Studio. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches. Hello, everybody, under the sound of my voice. Thank you again for tuning into yet another episode of Stitchcast Studio. Today's episode is going to be a little different, but before we get into that, I am your host, Brandon Lewis, and I am accompanied by a few members of our Stitch cast. Unfortunately, by the time you hear this podcast, we will be past Halloween, but at the time of recording, we are actually the day before Halloween. And so, in the spirit of Halloween, this podcast episode is called Campfire Stories. What you are about to hear are four real, live, personal, scary stories that have happened to each of us. Has the devil ever spared your life, even when you were so close to Hell's Gates? Well, I could say yes. My name is Whitney Bennett, and this is my story of how me and my family almost lost our lives to the devil and one of his minions, Ricardo Ramirez. Back in 1985, in a big city named Los Angeles, my family and I almost lost our lives. It was a normal day like any other. Made it home before dark, ate dinner, hung out with the folks, then I got ready for bed, not expecting my rude awakening. All I could recall was being asleep and being woken up by this brutal force. When I opened my eyes, I just seen these crazy cold eyes staring back at me. This rage-filled tall man in all black with a tire iron launched back ready to attack me. And that he did hit me over and over and over again until I was unconscious. Is this what it's like to die? To be in so much pain? I woke up covered in blood, barely could move, my head aching. Before I knew it, I just started screaming, screaming hoping my parents were still alive, screaming hoping someone would come and save me, wake me up from this nightmare, praying that that scary man never comes back. Finally, my dad comes upstairs, stumbling, holding his neck, coughing really hard. Later to find out, my father was also downstairs fighting for his life. That beast tied him up with a telephone cord and tried to strangle him to death. I was only 16, and I had to endure so much pain, and still to this day, I'm not fully sane. Later on that night at the hospital, the police told us they believed that the man that broke into my home and tried to kill us went by the name of Ricardo Ramirez, AKA the Night Stalker. The same Night Stalker that has been terrorizing Los Angeles streets and killing people in their homes and their sleep. The part that got to me was that he wasn't known for leaving people alive. He was known to torture and rape these people and sacrifice them to Satan. So why was my family left spared? Why do I still have to deal with the trauma? I was just a little girl, 
with so much life left, taken away in one night, being left with 500 stitches. Why us? Three years went by before they caught him. We were so grateful for this to be all over, finally, right? Everyone's safe. But over time with him being incarcerated, people grew to like him and wish for him to be free. He was getting a lot of fan mail and a lot of attention from the ladies. Some even protested, all shouting, the devil made him do it, meaning he shouldn't be held accountable for his actions. And the courtrooms were even worse. Cameras were everywhere, him promoting Satan on national TV, drawing pentagrams on his hand, just completely acting like a rage beast. The courts asked me to give my story and testify against Mr. Ramirez so we could finally put him away. I jumped at the opportunity because I also needed answers. I could finally look at this monster in the face and ask him, why didn't you finish us off? Why did you leave us? The entire time I was up on the podium, I could just feel him staring at me with those same cold, dead eyes. He even laughed at me a few times. I finally popped a question, why my family? Why didn't you finish us like you finished the other families? And with this deep, ragged, weird, scary voice, he said, Satan told me not to do it. He didn't want your souls, and laughed and laughed. At this point, we left the courtroom and found out later that he was sentenced to death in prison. Still to this day, I can't sleep, fearing someone might break into my home, saying that the devil sent them. Wow, I'm not gonna lie. Expect that, yo. I don't even know how to transition into the next story, bro. Just, just go, just go. Wow. So I had an aunt. She was standing like a rural area, and this particular day, it was real. It was real foggy, so she couldn't see anything but what was shining out our headlights. So when she stepped out, all she could smell was like cigarette smoke, and she don't smoke. So she looked around for a couple seconds, but she was real tired because she got off of a long shift of work. So she decided like, I'm real tired. I'm just gonna go inside and lay down. So she get inside, lay down, went to sleep for a couple hours, but then woke up because she heard something on the first floor. She had a friend, a close friend. She gave an extra key to because he'll usually pass through. He had classes in the city and he had work outside of the city, but he'll usually text before he come by out of her courtesy. So she decided to check her phone, but she didn't have no messages. She was real tired, she didn't want to get up. So she asked, is it you? She yelled her second time, is it you? So all of a sudden she heard somebody rushing towards the stairs and immediately she ran to her closet. So whoever was running to the stairs, he finally got up the stairs, how I always set up, straight ahead is the bathroom. On both of the sides of the um, bathroom, you got one bedroom, you got another bedroom. So he ran straight to the bathroom. By the time he got to the bathroom, she decided to go into our attic staircase. So she got up there. By the time like, he was rummaging through everything, he got to one bedroom, then he opened up her door, cut the lights on. She was real scared. By the time he cut the lights on, she started to get her legs up the attic. So she had her knees tucked to her chest. So in her closet, that's where she was hiding, in her attic closet. He turned the light on. He started knocking everything over. Then he opened up her closet. Only thing he had to do was look up, but he didn't do that. So she got lucky, but he was still in her house. So he started to scream out of frustration. 
she got real scared. So he decided to go back downstairs, retrace his steps, knocking everything over. But every often he'll be like, I'm gonna find you. I know you heard me. A couple hours passed, he was still there, searching everything, busting holes through the wall so she can hear all this. But she decided her only way to get out of this to see if he was gonna leave was count to a thousand. So she tried to count to a thousand every time he'll like say like, I'm gonna find you, I'm still here. She'll reset. So finally she got to a thousand, took a while, like took a while. She decided to take our chance to hop out our attic staircase and go and get our phone. She took her chances, got our phone, went right back to the attic. And she decided to call the police. Still scared, so she started like talking quietly. Like, yeah, I need you here. Talk to the cops, I need you here fast. They was like, okay. They got there. But by the time they got there, she heard them getting there. And they was like, are you here? So they started calling her by name, but she started feeling comfortable and she got out. Cops approached her. They said she was lucky because she decided to immediately go to our closet and hide in our attic. That was the only thing that really saved them. And when they was checking around the house, they asked the dude, you want to check around the house, see if anything was stolen. So they did that. And they noticed like in her butcher box, all her knives were spread out everywhere across our um, first floor. It looked like he was trying to uh, find her out of frustration, started slashing everything, furnitures and everything. And, throw the knife and get another one. She stayed there for like a couple years, but she decided to move because of the trauma. Yeah, that's pretty much the story. Wow. I'm sorry that happened to her. My condolences on the, um, you know, the loss of your happiness. Hey, what's up everybody? You know what's going on. It's time for another Stitchcast Studio Arts Interlude. That's right, it's time to pick the city up. This week, we have a Story Stitches original piece entitled The Breakup. A little while ago, you called me and asked me questions that I couldn't answer, like if I thought we did the right thing by breaking up and could I see us getting back together? Well, at the time I was without words, but hopefully this poem will explain it a little better. At first, everyone just knew we'd get back together. I struggled with the thought like, what good would that do? Cause you see time moves at a speed relative to a slow or fast you but never stops moving so where you would get stuck time would just pass through and you've developed a tendency to stay in one spot and so like time i passed you but on the inside i always knew that if i had to get back with you there's a small part of me that would be glad to and so i asked you if i had to extract that exact past that made me glad to and realize that your real lives were like gray skies and black moons then why would i be happy to have you if i wasn't happy when i had you now, when you called me, I was speechless, hoping that maybe if I speak less, then things would make sense. You know, look at your picture or try to use the same paintbrush that you paint with because hurt people hurt people. But you hurt people as if you don't care to know what pain is, but would be the first person to stand up and declare that men ain't ish. So you'll have to excuse me if my sympathy is a little limited now. In all fairness, I saw the signs but remained blind like how dumb of me. I've never seen lies that lie on beds of lies that lie so comfortably. But then again, I couldn't see the truth when it was standing right in front of me. So maybe I can't tell when things are too good to be true. Or maybe the opportunity was just too good to pass up. Because every time you'd act up, you'd give me a story. And I put two and two together. Thing is, I always got four. 
I never got forever. So after a while of seeing the BS, multiply and stack up, I started paying attention in school. I went to class and got my math up, trying to subtract the fact that you and I would never add up. But as they say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. But maybe you can help me because what I can't see is how the blame's on you, but yet the pain's on me. But that's life, right? Maybe it's time that I wake up. If love is fake, how come all the pain that came with love wasn't just made up? And if love is really a war, what if there were no boots for me to lace up? Because everybody ready for a relationship. Ain't nobody ready for no breakup. Thank you. Who's next? Life as a firefighter is never easy. But as a detective, I often find myself with stress levels as high as the flames that I get to witness with the brave heroes that have to put them out. My name is Tina Sampson, and this is my story. October 15th, 2017 was a chilly morning, but I expected nothing less in the Midwestern streets of St. Lucas. The time on my Fitbit said that it was 5 o'clock a.m., and despite the brisk wind whipping against my face as I stepped into my white Kia Forte, I smiled to myself knowing that I was already ahead of my own schedule. Yes, today would be a great day, I muttered to no one as I pulled out of my garage. I'm not sure if it's just me, but sometimes I get this sensation deep in my gut and inside of my chest. It feels like my insides are made of Play-Doh and someone is squeezing them around like a ceramic piece. I feel crazy even admitting it, you know? Maybe it was the first two cups of coffee that I had. Or maybe was it the eggs? Or was it my human instinct? I dismissed the odd feelings and drove to work anyways. My first and major story came from the old warehouse in Jamestown. Little was known about the warehouse aside from the fact that it used to be a bowling bowl built in the late 90s, and it became abandoned in 2012. In suburban neighborhoods like Jamestown, abandoned buildings are rare unless it's like an old business. What was even more rare in this type of setting was the fires. I could see the sky visibly fade into a darker shade from its usual fall season gray as I neared the scene. Though I was contained inside the safety of my car, I could still smell the thick musk of smoke creeping into the crevices of my shelter. This was no ordinary fire at all. I took my time asking around, and as about 50 firefighters did their job, I did my reporting. There was not much to be said except for the fact that the fire started mysteriously about an hour ago. We all brushed it off as some homeless person trying to get some heat for these times, packed everything up, and went on our separate ways. See, I thought to myself over my paperwork that evening, that silly gut feeling was nothing. I figured I was right as I looked over some of the pictures that were taken at the scene from earlier. There were obvious ones of all the angles of the building, the descriptions of said random items found from litter, from the squatters and debris, but of course the last image made me pause. My peaceful transition into bed. It was just the flames from the warehouse. Why was I so captivated by them? For a moment, I felt like I could see the flames moving in the picture like some hologram. And, oh my God. Is that a face in the flames? No. No. It was definitely time that I eased up on the morning beam. As I settled into my warm bed, I once again foolishly dismissed my intuition. Morning arrived once again for me, and this time I found myself speeding back to the exact same scene as before. Only one hour later, and this time we had an idea where the first fire started. It was in the basement, another detective on the scene informed me. But how? Is this some dumb teens playing a prank? Is it a homeless group? I asked eager to know the answer. Everyone seemed to shrug except for Ray J, an officer that usually joked on the job. He slapped me on the shoulder as he approached me with a grin. I could already hear one of his dumb jokes before he started. You know, 
Maybe it's the ghost of old Fireball. Fireball? Who's that, I asked. He was a famous bowling player that went undefeated for an entire decade. His nickname was Fireball because he shouted fire every time he made a score. That man loved attention, real crowd pleaser, but he died like a decade ago. Maybe he's keeping the place warm in his memory. When RJ was done talking, he slowly backed away from the glare I gave him for wasting my time. No more games, I decided. I was going to get to the bottom of this for myself and everyone else included. I left with the crew, but returned upon nightfall with all of my tools ready. My flashlight, my badge, my gun, and my courage. I carefully searched the remains of this brittle and smoked out place when after about 20 minutes, I got to the place that I was being watched. I figured if there was a time to follow that gut feeling, it was now. I held my flashlight and gun ready as I called out, who's there? Come out where I can see you. I heard no footsteps, but a hearty laugh replied instead. Ah, you again, it sighed. I could not see anyone but remained ready in case I did. Who are you? Squatting is illegal. Are you starting the fires? I asked, my voice a bit more shrill than I wanted. Fires? I am the fire, and I will never burn out. This mystery voice echoed in a dim light. I was sick of this. It was late at night, and I was hungry and a little scared too. Of course I got left with the crazy person in the dark. Listen, I don't know what you need, but you need to stop playing these games or I will be forced to take you in. I threatened and took a shaky breath before starting to cough. My nose caught the whiff of the smoke before my mind did. Were they starting to fire and taunting me? I covered my nose with my left hand as I ran through the remaining rooms and still continued to hear the amused laughter in the dark. Finally making my way out of the building, I gasped for air as I wiped my watery eyes and squinted at the place I escaped. There were no flames. Had I hallucinated it? No, you didn't hallucinate. I am the flame of this building and I will forever keep this place warm. The voice sounded clear and definitely more masculine this time around. My heart felt like it dropped into my spine as I frantically looked for the voice. Was Ray J right? I hesitated before starting my next words. Are you Fireball? Yes, that's me. I've been trying to tell people for years. I feel like all of my friends and family have just moved on and forgotten about me. The audacity of them. It was all making sense now. This ghost is just the attention-seeking, whining remains of an old man. He was starting the fires to keep his memory alive. I need you to stop starting these fires, I said, as I finally seemed to be catching my breath again. Hmm. Okay. Only if you promise to keep my story alive. The voice decided, to which I laughed this time. <laughs> I'm a detective in a crime-ridden city. I don't have the time for that nonsense. As quickly as I said those words, my gut nodded again as a warning. And just as quickly as if someone flipped a switch, the building became covered in flames. I dashed from my car and took cover inside. My wheels screeched as I peeled out of the lot and drove away as far as I could. Hi, I panted as I called the local fire department. This is Detective Sampson. There's been a fire reported at the bowling alley in Jamestown Place. Get there ASAP. I hung up before the receiving person could ask why and how I knew before they did and made my way home to clear my conscience. It's been seven years since then. No fires have been reported since my last encounter. And even now, I still have a cough like never before. And to this day, I can still feel the flames. Who should have went last, but it ain't me. All right. You got it. So um I have a bunch of 
veteran and active duty members of the military and my family shout out to anybody in the military uh thank you for your service and in the military everybody's trained to be really practical so paranormal events isn't something that people talk about in the military so uh i don't say that to say that you should believe every time somebody in the military says that a paranormal event happens i say that to say that you should know that if they're coming up on the conclusion that a paranormal thing has happened then they've exhausted every other possibility they, they've looked everywhere else and figured the only thing left is that this is a ghost or an anomaly or whatever the case may be now that being said i have a cousin that's in the marines and uh during during a tour in afghanistan he was stationed at uh what's called op rock op meaning observational post now uh people in the military will know that observational posts are very valuable in uh any war it's usually the highest point and, and and it's literally what it says it's the best place to observe the area from uh so in the middle of afghanistan is a place called op rock and there have always been rumors about things happening here and my cousin got the questionable fortune of being stationed at op rock so here's how the rotations work you stay there with seven other marines for 60 days at a time now at this current time uh america and england are allies so you're switching back and forth with british soldiers so normally when switching posts with another group in the military they do a site survey with the group that was just there so uh they say things like okay be careful in this area we think there might be landmines over there and uh so on and so forth but for some reason when my cousin and his uh seven marines the seven marines that were with him when they got there they didn't they didn't go through that the british were so ready to get out of there that they didn't they didn't take the time to show them around and whatnot that being said the british on their way out one of the soldiers turned around and said if you dig something up just put it back and my cousin and uh everybody he was with was like what what, what does that even mean uh and the british soldier didn't elaborate he just said trust me if you dig something up put it back that being said uh they left and my cousin and his troops started to settle in now they're in a uh, kind of an abandoned style house or whatnot with a bunch of trenches they're in a trench they're gonna be here for 60 days and one of the things that creeped them out was that the british that were just there for 60 days looked like they had been fighting there for decades and so they were kind of worried uh but they kind of accepted okay the, the, the place is weird whatever one of the soldiers notices that the trench uh, uh for anybody that doesn't know the trenches are set up you you dig a trench into the ground and uh you're supposed to be able to stand in there and uh fire your gun you're supposed to that, that's supposed to keep you safe from bullets while you're shooting um the trench wasn't deep enough so uh they started asking each other the british were just here for 60 days why didn't they dig this trench deep enough that's not gonna that's not gonna protect nobody so they started to dig and uh not long after digging uh they, they start pulling out like pots and whatnot uh and then they pull out a human femur a human bone and it immediately it clicks oh this is what they meant by put it back if you dig it up and so immediately they stop digging and they know why there weren't any deeper trenches 
that being said the first night goes by and uh when you're uh sleeping there's always one person that stays up the night watching or whatnot this wasn't my cousin but one of his friends and uh while looking out uh in the middle of the night he heard like a a, a whistling uh, like 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 a little static like like a little sh- coming from his radio now uh military radios are supposed to be encrypted or whatnot they shouldn't be picking up any strange frequencies or nothing so first he wonders if it's one of the guys he looks over and there are no beds here so all seven marines are asleep on the floor so it can't be them he radios back to base uh are you guys sending traffic this way they say uh no we're not giving or receiving any traffic uh so he figures okay i have the radio guy look at it tomorrow um fine fast forward to the next night another marine still not my cousin another marine is looking out observing while the other seven sleep and he sees a man run towards a bush away from the observation post he lifts his rifle which has a uh, thermal vision on it so if you're if, if there's anybody over there they should light up you should be able to see him he doesn't see anything now mind you they have a dog that they inherited from the british soldiers that were there uh the dog is called ugly betty and it's supposed to be really good at picking up on when people are around so uh the dog is going crazy and that and looking in that same direction that the marine is looking in but he can't see anyone and so someone taps on him he feels a tap or whatever he figures okay cool somebody just woke up they heard all this shuffling he turns around there's no one there uh nothing in thermal the dog is going crazy and uh no one just tapped on his shoulder uh he thinks he's going crazy uh he figures okay i'm I'm losing my mind i'm tripping uh on the fourth night just like every night before there's someone observing while the others sleep still not my cousin now this marine keeps seeing people running back and forth from bushes but his rifle again with thermal vision is not picking up anything and so he's getting really worried he's getting freaked out uh he hears a whispering he thinks okay one of them are messing with me he turns around everybody sleep on the floor nobody's messing with him but this really really bothers him he goes to to his authority his upper command and he says um i think i'm losing my mind i think i have combat fatigue i need to be transferred and they transfer him now my cousin and his other marines are critical of the marine that just got transferred they think he's just acting crazy there's 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 nothing actually happening here he just doesn't want to be here and so he's lying to get out of it uh so they kind of snap on him before he leaves a few weeks later everybody's experiencing crazy things they feel bad because of how critical they were of the marine that left they now know that he was telling the truth if you're uh in the military you know that if you lose your line of communication your radio military troops they always keep one person that's an expert at radios because if you lose your line of communication you 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 up out of there that's a bad spot to be in and so on night 59 after uh, so far nothing super crazy it's just been really really weird stuff that would make you not want to stay there on night 59 the radio stopped working all of them all of them stopped working they go to the radio guy what, what's going on fix this and he's like yeah i've been doing the exact same thing the entire time we've been here it's it's not me there's nothing wrong with the radios i don't know why they're not working so a few minutes go by and machine guns start going off they are being attacked by the taliban uh machine gun bullets firing in all angles uh 
the marine at the observational post is my cousin this time he is my cousin uh my cousin is looking around uh with his thermal sight to see where the fire is coming from it sounds like it's coming from everywhere but when he looks out he doesn't see anyone and so they're really confused at one point another marine jumps up in the uh post with him and and, and kind of snatches him up and he's like where are they coming from where are they firing from and he's like i, 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 I don't know I, I can't find them i can't find them so they heard the sound of an rpg go off and rpg uh missiles when they shoot they kind of have like a like 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 it like it like whistles through the earth and so they brace for impact because they know they're gonna get hit um they brace they hear the explosion it shakes the walls and then the shooting stops when now in the military in any circumstance when you're being shot at as soon as the shooting stops you don't assume that they just done shooting you assume that that, that at some point they're gonna start shooting again so they they sit there they they, they stay uh undercover for a minute after a while sun comes back up they didn't start shooting again they were never shot at again they go outside of the abandoned house to kind of assess the damage or whatnot and there was none there were no bullet there were no bullet holes there was no rpg damage there was there was nothing this is day 60 and it's now time for them to leave and uh similar to the british they they they, they were so antsy they didn't they didn't want to do a a observation with the with the uh with the new soldiers coming in they just wanted to get out of there and so soon as the british came they got out of there weirdly enough since then and completely separate incidents four of those eight marines were killed in afghanistan and completely separate incidents and there's one more marine that's still alive that dug up a bone the four that were killed uh dug up bones in the area they couldn't while they were in the trench they couldn't get three scoops of dirt in without coming across a bone so that's why they gave up on trying to dig um for the marines that that picked up bones are dead one of them that's still alive believes that they released a curse on themselves and that he's, he's just convinced that he's gonna die at some point eventually that that curse is gonna catch up to him and he's gonna die he doesn't know when it's gonna happen but he does expect it to happen to this day he's alive and waiting on it now uh thankfully it's not my cousin that being said this particular grounds has has a deep 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 dark history it turns out that the russians invaded afghanistan killing all the afghans at this rock and taking it for themselves the russians were there in the 80s after that the taliban came back and took it back from the russians killing all the russians that were there uh taliban had it for a while and then americans came in killing all of them and taking it from them and so this uh, rock has been a battleground for years and years and years and is in a lot of ways a cemetery because there are a bunch of people that died there and that, that are buried there that are still there. They didn't, they didn't come and get those bodies. So there are a bunch of Afghan and Taliban and Russian bodies just laying on this rock. And when they were sleeping on the grounds, they were sleeping on dead people. Yeah, they had been sleeping on skeletons this whole time. And I'm, I'm not an expert on ghosts, but I imagine that wouldn't make a ghost happy you sleeping on his body and that's my story ladies and gentlemen this has been another episode of stitch cast i want to thank you for tuning in i want to thank the brave people for telling stories of uh their deep trauma actually let me be honest with you at the very beginning of this podcast we kind of lied to you we kind of told you a, a 
little bit of a lie. Um, while most of these stories that were told are true, uh, they did not happen to us personally. These were not our stories, and I'm not gonna tell you which ones did happen. I won't tell you which ones don't happen. I'll let you use your imagination, but uh, our condolences to anybody that did lose their life under uh, mysterious or suspicious uh, circumstances, anybody that hasn't yet had justice for a death, we hope that it is found. Uh, we wanna thank you again for listening. Thank you so much, StitchCast, for participating, and we out. St. Louis Story Stitchers is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Visit on the web at arts.gov. Additional support for StitchCast Studio and St. Louis Story Stitchers Youth Programs was provided by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund, the Lewis Prize for Music Accelerator Award, City of St. Louis Youth at Risk Crime Prevention Grant of 2021, and March for Our Lives Aid and Alliance. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches.